hello and welcome to Northwestify, the technology and digital sector podcast for Manchester and the Northwest. Uh, to my right, I have my host, the Yoda of recruitment, Zach Giorgio. Welcome, Zach. Uh, next to Zach is the wonderful producer, Denisa. Um, and our guest today is Jake Dean, CTO at Airtime Rewards. Hello, Jake. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you Hi, very Jake. much. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much, Jake, for coming in. So, um, I want to find out a bit about Air. I've heard of Airtime Rewards. Um, I actually Good. know I know some people who used to work there, but we won't, won't go into any maybe any of that straight away. Um, but do you want to maybe just tell me first of all a bit what Airtime Rewards is? Sure. Yeah. So we're a retail loyalty rewards platform. So the basic premise is that anyone can go and download our app from the App Store. They register with their phone number, add their credit or debit cards into the app, and then whenever they use those cards in any of our partnered retailers they'll earn rewards as a percentage of their spend and that'll come straight off your phone bill. Simple enough as an idea, quite easy to sort of explain that, but I bet there's a ton of tech going on behind that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you want yeah. to tell us a bit about that? What's your, so what's your tech stack there and what's, um, what's cool and interesting about it maybe? And sure. So um, we've, we've kind of got two parallel tech stacks. So we've got a back-end team developing the platform and a front-end team developing the app. So the app is all React Native. Okay, um, great. so it's kind of developers from a, a front-end background, mainly an app development background. Um, and on the platform side, it's a PHP-based stack. So we're using Symfony, latest versions of PHP, so 7.4 has just come out. And that's using a lot of AWS services. So we're kind of really standing on their shoulders in terms of scalability, performance, and handling the volume that's coming through the platform. Brilliant. Okay, so that's really interesting. So I'm I'm going to get geek out a bit here on the React Native. So sorry, Zach. Okay. Zach's here cool. to keep me straight on uh, not getting too geeky. But you just I, continue I to educate myself. me, gentlemen. I that's cannot fine. help myself when somebody mentions React Native. How have you found that in terms of performance? Because that's the one thing that I'd worry about. I guess if I was building an app for multiple devices, has it been all right? Sure. Yeah, it's it's been all right for our use case. Obviously, it very much depends what you're doing. If you're developing a you know a game, something with 3D graphics. Sure. AR, that kind of thing. It's you not, know you're going to hit some struggles. Yeah, it might be downplaying it a little bit. Yeah, but from our perspective, it's it's really kind of a thin client to an API. Yeah, so it works uh, really it's well. It's a platform for you. that does a lot of the hard work. Brilliant. Yeah, but really interesting. Okay, so you're a CTO in a startup. What's that like? I mean, what's your you know, is that stressful? You know, really exciting, challenging. What's what's good about being a CTO uh, in a startup? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered the top level <laughs> top level things there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's my first time doing it. Okay. So I came from sort of a web development background and then did a bit of solutions architecture and a bit of bit of contracting, sort of tech lead stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a bit new to me coming yeah. into it. Didn't quite know what to expect. But yeah, I joined three years ago when it was me and a founder and a outgoing developer who was leaving in a little box room. And now we've just moved into a nice big new office. We've got sort of 20 staff. Wow. Um, so we've kind of gone through that whole process from yeah. very small to very big and seen it change a lot as well over time. So it's it's quite a scrappy, exciting environment when you're small. You know, you are that whole thing about being agile and being ready to pivot and, you know, reacting to change as it comes is very true. And that's what I found that what's your priority one week isn't the next because some meetings happen somewhere and actually suddenly there's a new business opportunity that you really need to jump on and seize. Well, so what about the culture? What's How has that changed from, say, there was two, two three people there yep. when you started, now 20? You, do you have to invent a culture? Was there one there already? Did you have to nurture it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's naturally there's a culture everywhere. 
to some extent you know it might not be a, a curated nurtured one that you've you've built but there's a natural culture there it's it's very relaxed it's very chilled out you know everyone gets the work done and, and does their part so it just and, works everyone's kind of happy yeah it's you know? kind of worked well we're at a point now where we're scaling and growing yeah. and actually now we've got enough staff that not everyone knows what everyone else is doing and that yeah, culture so piece in- is becoming more important to kind of make sure we direct that in the right way now um, you're, you're at the size where communication is now a real key thing between different parts of the business they're not all developers i take it as well that's that's right yeah yeah, yeah about about 50 percent of the business is developers so i mean what are the, the i guess the myths around startups the, i guess the one thing we hear about is huge amounts of cash being piled in is that is that massive myth or is, is um, how, how has it worked um for you guys yeah it's it's a slight myth i mean obviously <laughs> it does happen but those are the ones you hear about aren't yeah. they you know you, you don't hear about the other 95 percent of startups that have to fight tooth and nail to get some investment yeah at the end of the day investors aren't throwing money away yeah so yeah while they might give these massive cash injections that they're doing it to get their money back at the end of the day and if you're not the next Facebook or Uber, you need to prove your business case. You need to prove where you're going and that you can do what you say you can. Yeah. As with any other business, really, you know, that being a startup or a tech startup, it's kind of it's got this kind of aura around it of, you know, being something exciting cool. and special. And yeah. Actually, you're just a, a small, non-profitable business at that point when you drill down to it, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it's it's not easy to get investment is there that, that non-profitability thing what way down on the developers would you say on the on that side of it or are they just f- focused on the problem and and productivity and and giving the next feature to users and seeing that come back how do you think it, it, it affects the rest of the business i think with us it's and it, it kind of comes back to culture really we've been quite good at that in that it is around developing a product for the users and that that kind of works for the retailers as well because ultimately the retailers are really our, our customers. Okay, so you've got some very B2B kind of, from that point of view, or you've got both, do you? We've I got mean, both, yeah. We have to cater to the, the end members who are yeah. downloading the app and the retailers as well. So, so you've yeah, got to, you got to sell it twice. Scenario. Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. I always say that about Zach. You, you've got like the hardest job in the world because you've got, you you've got to sell your service twice, right? You've got to sell it to the, the yeah. company. and Yeah, I mean, ultimately most people procure a product don't they so they say oh yeah. i want that tv or i want this and that's it it's done you go and pick it off the shelf and it's done simple yeah. whereas we have to make sure that we're doing that from both parties and the the biggest challenge that you face in recruitment is that any party can change their mind particularly when it becomes a personal one so yeah it's just uh i'm not saying that anything isn't more difficult than something else but yeah, yeah. you are trying to do it from both ends you know well have you found the recruitment piece then in in the city uh, tricky yeah yeah i don't think you expected any other answer really no no I, yeah it's a bit bit of a walk-in but but i mean is it because you're a startup obviously there's an excitement some people want to work for startups right so you're attractive yeah, to a certain yeah. kind of individual anyway and they say we get to play with new tech and we talked about some of that tech you know we're in a startup they're pivoting there it's all change and developers have uh, there's a I don't know, maybe not a myth, but, you know, culture around certain kinds of developers who want the excitement, want to change, change jobs regularly, that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. So has that worked well for you? Have you been able to leverage that and then say, yeah, we are that kind of business, we do have cool tech. Has that helped you? Do you mind if I just jump in on that? Because it's an interesting one. 
and on that exact point, I think one thing that was quite interesting with you, Jake, was obviously we've known each other for a few years, by the way. Yeah. And uh, I was probably involved, well, I was involved in the whole piece of you working at Airtime Rewards at the time. I think what I always remember was the change from the stack that you had to the stack that you went to, which maybe you can elaborate on in the answer. But do you think that did make a big difference in regards to you being able to hire people more easily? Well, if you can call it hiring people more easily nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Obviously, I can't speak to all all developers, all techies, but in my experience, the the best ones tend to be the ones who want to learn, want to develop, want to do new things. They don't want to be sat there doing a nine to five, doing the same thing that they've done the last week. So I think using new tech, using current tech and trying things out, being experimental, giving them that freedom to go and learn and try those things out and prototype and get things wrong is is kind of vital. But I think the startup culture kind of plays into that very well because that's what you're doing as a business. You naturally, you yeah. are experimenting, you are trying new things and seeing what sticks. Yeah, yeah, and it has to fit, doesn't it? it has to fit the, you can't just say, hey, we're going to use React Native because it's cool. You say, we have to have a real use case for this and it has to be compelling. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, it's a, yeah. that's the hard, as a CTO, that's one of the hardest parts of the job going, of, yes, of course, I would love to play with you know, tech whatever but we can't because it would the investment for teaching those people or hiring the, those skills is too high we're going to have to use what we have today and that's about yeah. the balancing act and I, th- I think it's about choosing where to accept a risk and yeah. where to take a chance on something so our stack for example when i started there they had a proof of concept platform in ruby on the back end i know from previous role that it's quite hard to find ruby developers in manchester and it's not really my background we were at a point where we knew we needed to do a rewrite of the platform to make it into a, a real polished sort of scalable product that was going to work for the next few years. So it was a great time to, you know, look at tech stacks. So we considered a few things, ultimately we went with PHP. It's an area that I've got most experience with, and that was largely a recruitment choice because I knew the best ways to try and recruit PHP devs, Symfony devs. Um, yeah, because you already had the connections in the community. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. so that, yeah. That, and, that does play into it, doesn't and it? And that's really interesting because obviously, <clears throat> knowing you, John, yeah, you went I, the opposite direction. I did indeed. So it's quite interesting. So it's keen to sort of understand, probably from the non-techie in the room, um, you did it from a choice of recruitment and you know trying to get more talent in. Yep. You did it because PHP wasn't really a great language or you didn't feel well, for you. Okay. Yeah, there, there, I'll I, hold back at I, that I, point. I will, I will never slag off my <laughs> beloved PHP, but I now do Ruby, okay? So I'm, I'm hated by both camps equally. Um, no, but I, I mean, yeah, I suppose just to explain, um, I did PHP for about 10 years. It paid for my mortgages. So, I'm, you know, I, I've loved uh, doing PHP. I moved into a company and they were pivoting on technology, but in the other direction than from where you went, they said, we have a PHP app. So they hired me four weeks in, they said, we're building a new MVP and we're doing it in Ruby because that's uh, Ruby on Rails because that's the quickest way to get a product to market. Now, I don't know how mature Symfony and um, Laravel were at the time, but that was the decision that was made. And it was a decision coming from the US owners of the business and Ruby is quite big out there as well bigger than it is here um so i had a choice really um although it was never explicit but the choice was do you want to learn ruby or do you want to not stay here kind of thing so but it was a great opportunity and i come to your point you know your better developers are the ones who want to learn and try something new and i was like yes go for it and that's that is literally what happened it was someone else's decision said we were going to pivot on this technology we've moved to it i've loved it having looked back but it has given me a unique perspective on 
technology because I was, you know, was competent in both. Unless my boss is listening to this, in which case, sorry, <laughs> but I was reasonably good at both, right? And so I, I can see the the pros and cons of both. And I think one of the pros of PHP, one of the big pros, is particularly in Manchester, um, is the availability of of the people. There's, yeah, there's way yeah. more I, people available. I think with technology choices, <clears throat> in terms of language, you know, if you're comparing something like Ruby and PHP. And, you know, whatever, C-sharp, JavaScript in that kind of web space, there's really not a lot to choose between on a pure tech basis. They all perform broadly similar. They can all have, you know, roughly similar capabilities. The decision really has to be more down to people, the ecosystem around it, the community around it, support, you know, how it's how it's going to play with the rest of the business and the rest of the, the industry. Yeah. And I mean the non-technical people that we that we talk to in our you know in my line of work, and maybe you too don't care really very much about the language. They're like, well, why do I, why would I choose one over the other? But that is a compelling reason. Saying there are five times as many PHP people. I think if you go back as well, there was a probably unfairly, but there was a bit of a myth around well, P, some PHP developers, and I'm going back like 15 years taught themselves they're a bit of script jockeys they only muck around with a cms couldn't resist could you get in the yeah. little, little php well, no. <laughs> no, that's when i started right so i'm talking about myself but that was the that was the perception i don't think that was the reality and it's certainly not the case now and you know the php developers i know are engineers you know in the true sense of the word yeah, it's, so it's certainly it's grown up a lot it's grown the past up few yeah years. It, it did it a was accessible amount. and if you listen to rasmus he he when he talked about it, he did it for hacking around for himself just to yeah. create pages right that's its original purpose but it has evolved and that's ultimately why it got so popular as yeah. well because it was so easy for anyone to pick up with no coding experience mm. and you know hack together something interesting one for me okay knowing you both meeting you when you were devs not a cto not a cto slash owner of their own business um one love devs have and that's coding mm. how did you feel about the move into becoming a cto growing that department and it's probably the same question for you growing your own business do you still want to code all the time or or not uh all the time no I mean, to be, to be clear, you know, I, I joined the business as the only techie at that point. So while I was in a CTO role, I, you know, I was wearing a lot of hats. So I did do a lot of coding. Nowadays, I still do a little bit, but, you know, day to day, I, I can quite easily go a couple of weeks without touching any code. And that kind of suits me down to the ground, really. I think I still need to be involved in it. I still need to cobble together tools and things. But, you know, if I'm not developing app code, that's fine by me. I've sort of... I've done that for however long, 13 years or something before right. this job. So I kind of, I feel like I've got my fill of being a developer and it's it's more the challenges around the people and the process and how the tech fits into the business that really interests me now. So Right, cool. But yeah, yeah it's it's not for everyone. Yeah. yeah. I think as an individual, what you want to do is add add the most value you can to the business that you're working for. And when you're a developer and you don't have the those higher level skills to look at all the technology across the piece or help out with culture, then that's where you add the most value. But at the point where you understand how React Native works with a PHP app, you know, and how APIs need to work together and how to scale an AWS infrastructure, at that point, you are more valuable to that business doing that than you are, uh, you know, at the keyboard writing code. That's not to say you can't do both. 
it's more about the love that you guys have for coding right. is what I'm sort of talking about. You know, when we did Life of a Developer and, yeah. you know, there was people like Dave Wilcott who absolutely still loves coding, you yeah. know, doesn't want to do that type of thing. It was for me more about trying to understand how your transition was because, you know, even in recruitment, I still do hands-on recruitment. Mm. Yeah, I've been doing it for 24 years and I still do hands. And I love doing it because I think what it does is, and not all the time, because you're right, it has to be that the business and the important elements of the business to drive it forward and all those things need to happen as well. However, by keeping my hand in, it means that I'm really at the coal face. I really know what's going on. And I suppose the question to you guys really was, how do you find it? Because so many people as developers will turn around and say, yeah, I've done the whole team leading, mentoring and coaching and CTO stuff. And I just want to develop again. I just really like yeah. doing it. So I've actually done it three times. I've actually started in a business and then progressed up through the roles to where I wasn't coding anymore and I was managing the team. And then I've moved on to another business, done it again, and I've done it for a third time in my own business. And I do miss it. And every time I go back to the you know, the starting point and start coding again, I go, oh, this is great and I really love it. But um, I definitely do miss it. I'm still hands-on techie, but I don't know how amazing I am. Or I, I, I certainly know how not amazing I am. I'm probably more aware of my flaws now. So I, yeah, I definitely miss it. But you come back to the point about Dave's, I think some, some people will are naturally, their progression is going to be in, in the technical route not necessarily in a people development route. Like in our business, we recognize that and we have two paths for people to follow as as they progress through the business. I think a lot of companies do that. And I think it's wrong to pigeonhole people to say, your next role is managing people, right? That's the only way for you to go up. And I think that's a shame because those techies don't get the opportunity to flourish. And then there are more kind of architect type roles that would be better for them. I completely agree. And I think there's a focus on progression and I need to move up and I need to do the next thing. And as you say, that tends to lead you down as a developer, down a route of people management, becoming a team lead, mentoring people. And actually, in quite a lot of cases, that isn't what you want to do. It's not what you enjoy. It's not where your passion is. So why are you doing it? Yeah. You, it you know, the, there should be that uh, that tech path to either sort of moving into more architecture and high level stuff, if that's what you want to do. But also... If you just want to be a developer and just be really, really good at that, great. There's a huge place for that, you know, yeah, for top absolutely. developers. We, you know, we always need yeah. more, more good developers. You know, we're crying out for it, but then we're pushing the good ones away into doing something else. Yeah. How have you found it then moving into the mentoring and people management and that side? Is, the, is this the first role where you've done that? or No, so I've had a, I've had a few roles yeah. where I've sort of been a team lead okay. and done some mentoring training internally. And had quite a lot of quite a lot of free reign and responsibility i guess for me that's exactly what i want Perfect. i said before about you know people wanting to learn and develop and do new things which is very true of myself but it's not just about the tech it's not learning a new language or using a new aws service i want to develop personally and get new skills and try new things do new job roles you know that that's kind of what drives me is to do something i've not done before or that i never can improve at so yeah so something I do want to ask you about, um, it's something that's come up outside of this podcast uh, with a friend of mine in the recruit and it's recruiting and finding the, you know good talent. And they start talking about the technical test and the value of it. And I put something on LinkedIn and asked people how they did it. And actually there's a lot of, a lot of different opinions, a lot of very uh, strongly held beliefs about the pros and cons, variable success stories based on if it's a senior person versus a very junior person. I guess, what's your take on it? Is is doing, so 
clearly we need to interview people. Yeah. Is there, how much value is there in a technical exercise and what is a good technical test to do if there is? Okay. Um, so I think the picture that most people have in their head, certainly the one that, that I get if someone says a technical test or a coding test is, you know, here's a problem, solve it, or potentially here's a whiteboard, you know, demonstrate bubble sort for me, the kind of classic tropes of it. They can work. They have some value. They have their place. I think they're much better as a test of how people do in a stressful environment in an interview situation. It's more of a test of the soft skills of that person and how they tackle it rather than their coding ability because that's, that's not a natural coding environment. Yeah, completely agree. We had, and I still feel bad about this, we brought someone in and said, we want to do a technical test and they're just almost shaking. Uh, and then I said, no, right, we're not going to do this now. This is not the right thing to do because it's, as you said, yeah. we put unnecessary stress on that person. And we have no idea how that person's going to perform in their role based on how they performed in an interview. Here's my problem with it as well. Even if someone does really well, the tech, take it, let's say they take it home, they spend four hours on it or, or whatever. That hasn't really told you what they're going to be like when, they're work, when they've done a month's work for you. Because no one's going to be good in the first week anyway unless they're incredible because they're, they're learning the ropes. So it's difficult. You need to do something, but is the test the right thing? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. What we tend to do and what I've always tend to do when I've interviewed at previous previous jobs as well is more of a talking-based test. So actually just start talking about code and start talking about design patterns and really see what kind of language they use and how they approach things. It tends to give you a better view of what their coding ability is like from my point of view, because you get you get a, an idea of their sort of level of seniority. You get a picture of how good they are at explaining concepts to other people, which is ultimately a very important part of being a developer. You know, it's there's a certain amount of value in having someone who can write great code and sit in a corner on their own and do a task. But actually, that only goes so far. You need someone who can work in a team, explain things to other people, help mentor other people, and listen as well and learn from those other people themselves. Yeah, so we've mentioned this on before that uh, software development is a team sport. Uh, I completely agree with that. And being able to tell computers what to do is definitely a part of it, but it's not the only part of it. And, you know, being able to build systems that other people understand, your maintainability, and you talk about, you know, getting the um, people's communication skills are just so, you know, such a huge part of that. Really I, think it's, it's a, I think it's a really, really, I think both of you have, have absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think it's an absolutely sensible approach. I think sometimes, um, I don't know why it is. However, it's overdone very much so where these massive, massive tasks that are given beforehand. I think, I think it's one you of know, these things where there's a lot of stuff, particularly in the startup world, where someone's heard that Google do it. Yeah, Google are great. So yeah, we'll do that too. We want it to must be, be the right answer, but you know, it's it's a completely different environment. You, you know, you're not in a business with thousands of employees where you have to have processes in place and these sort of standardised checks for everyone to go through to say they fit into box A. Yeah, and I, th I think ultimately, you know, everything. We've said it before. Everything comes down to attitude anyway. So if they've got the right attitude, they'll learn and develop anyway. Yeah, with you. Do you always want the finished article when you're recruiting people? No. You don't. You no. want to develop no. them. You want so to bring them into your, your, find them anyway. your environment. <laughs> yeah, but you, you are, aren't you? You know, I know several businesses that always turn around to me and say to me they don't want somebody. 
that's basically done it in this particular way for all of these years actually want to mold them into how they do things they want to get them to so they look very much so on attitude and a lot of clients will say to me i don't want to find a solution i want to see how they think yeah i want to see how they behave yeah how they yeah. act how they go about it okay it's it's a lot easier to teach someone how to code than it is to teach them to be a better person yeah that's a really good point um so yeah you just mentioned about google and i think that's a, that's a really interesting one a parallel that people often draw to but they are a completely different kettle of fish right because they have people beating down their door to get to work for google yeah to have that on their cvs so they can say i work for google right so they have to filter any way they can to get people so they will get people who crumble an interview and they will make them do the whiteboard thing because they don't care they can't afford to care right they, they can't afford to give everyone the same chances so they'll make them do a ridiculously long test um, and they'll make them do a whiteboard test and, and they'll lose good people through that and they will filter out because they, they've they got people queuing up at the door. And I think, you know, a lot of businesses that are smaller than Google, which is nearly all of them, haven't got that luxury. And actually, it's a bit of a waste because you're let, you're losing good people and they're falling through the cracks and you're missing out on great talent. Yeah, I'm I mean, not saying... Sorry, sorry, sorry Zach. I, I'm, I was just going to say, I've I've been through a technical test previously, many years ago. I won't, I won't say what company it was for. But I went in and actually they offered me the job afterwards and I turned it down on the basis of I really hated how they did the technical test. Because what, they, what they'd done beforehand is said, okay, the part of the interview, there will be a technical test and given no more information about it. And then actually when you went in, they kind of threw a bit of a curveball. It was, you know, it was in a language that they knew I hadn't used before. And the problem wasn't quite what they suggested it was going to be. And it was really a way to see how you behaved under pressure and things like that. But the way they went about it and the way they introduced it to kind of, it was all a bit cloak and dagger and kind of trying to trip you up. And I, I really hated that. I just thought that's not a culture that I want to come into. But it, it there's a certain kind of company that needs people who excel in that. So I went for an interview with um, a consultancy firm and they, it was the most it was the most stressful 45 minutes of, of my life, or maybe not the most, but certainly up there. And I was, you know, I was panicking. I didn't know what to, you know, I thought I was doing terribly. In the end, he said, right, you've got a job. When do you want to start? And I'm like, I don't want to come back here. You know, but the, the point was, do you survive under a stressful circumstance? Because consultancy firms need to put you out in the field and, you know, bring in the money for them. Sure, um, that's and a good so, point. You know, so it, it does, it, I don't know who the company was, so you, it's up to you whether you want to say if they were a working consultancy, but that is certainly something that they look for. They know people that they can that confront the business. I think the interesting thing is going back to the original point. I think you're absolutely spot on in regards to how you're actually approaching it at the moment. I think there's several different factors that you can sort of look at. And I think, you know, the point that you've both made there about perception, yes, they might need people like that. However, you've also got to attract talent in the first place. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to be putting them off by the way you're doing things, then they're not going to go and work for you, particularly when there's probably another hundred businesses on your doorstep probably more than that that are all looking for the same people as well i'm not saying that you shouldn't do certain things and you shouldn't test in a certain way however at the same time there has to be some logic behind it rather than well actually i don't want to work here because they've just put me under so much pressure i just don't want to do it so so for me personally i think both of you are absolutely doing it in exactly the right way based on attitude, getting an understanding, talking to them in a certain way, which ultimately you guys have been doing it for such a long period of time. You know what you're talking about now. You've been doing it for long enough. 
they're not going to pull the wool over your eyes when they're talking to you about how they do stuff, aren't they? They're yeah. going to be, you know, you're going to know yeah. pretty much the week from the, you know. Yeah. But equally at the same time, you should be able to also develop from that those people that have got the right attitude, which you wouldn't necessarily know when you send somebody off to do a task at home because you don't know whether they really want it or not. Okay, they came back to you an hour before somebody else did. It's an argument to say that. But, you know, people have got lives as well, so... Yeah. I think for you and I, some of the are the process that we use is based on some of our bad experiences as well. Like yeah. you mentioned about that, you're saying, well, I never want that to happen to somebody, a candidate comes in and that I'm recruiting. I never want them to have that experience. So that's out, you know. We and that, our our interview process is based a little bit on my experiences and my co-founders' experiences. Some good, some bad. You know, you pick the good and you say we will never do the bad. And we just have to be more resourceful when you when you're. A smaller business and you have to think of ways to find those good people and find out what they're like yeah it's it's difficult it's difficult to find people you have to sell yourself as a business in this market and it's yeah i was going to say now but it's been the same since i started however long 15 years ago or so it was you know it's a struggle to find techies then it's it still is today it's always the same. so when you're a small company that people might not have heard of yeah. as you say everyone wants to go and work at google why do they want to come and work for you when there's five other jobs on the table so I think the other thing is as well, tech is one aspect. The skill shortage is always across, you know, I worked for a different agency in the past and we used to touch on loads of different areas, engineering, sales, professional services, etc. The skill shortage is not just in tech, it's everything. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just not got enough people coming through for the pace that everything moves. Okay, tech probably moves quicker than anything else, but we just haven't. We talked about it. What was cool three years ago is not necessarily as cool now. Why does everyone want to do JavaScript now rather than do... Um, PHP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, I can or, see or, it in your eyes, Zach, don't worry. <laughs> or, or, you know, etc. Do you know what I mean? But I think we've talked quite a lot on the tech piece. I'm quite also interested to find out about the um, startup culture in regards to how airtime have developed. We talked a little bit about startup culture. What do you think has been the biggest change apart from the fact that you you personally are having to sort of monitor them was it a lot more fun before is it a lot more serious now i think a lot more fun might be the wrong word into years it's, <laughs> it's still a lot of fun now i think there's a lot of other factors at play so there was always fun times and stressful times and you know that that mix that you get at any job i think the difference now is we are trying to grow up and we're trying to transition a group of 20 people from a culture where everyone knows what's going on and everyone can speak to everyone into having a bit more of a hierarchy you know some levels of reporting lines people taking responsibility and ownership for their own part of that machine and you know there's challenges some people are all up for that and relish in that environment and you know want to be part of it other people find it more of a struggle and you know want a more sort of chilled out kind of come in and chat to anyone environment and it's yeah it's it's difficult growing the team I mean, I've been there. I, I, I've been involved in growing uh, a recruitment agency from there was, well, my particular area was just me, but the rest of the business, there were only six at the time, and we go to 140 people. Cromer, we've gone from uh, myself and Tim up to like 16 people now. And it is interesting because obviously as a business owner, somebody who completely actually holds the purse string and realises that if we're not doing well, I don't get paid. It is more serious. You know, the more 
you grow, the more you develop. Because there's two things. One is when you first start out, you're trying to prove concept. You're trying to get a foothold. You're trying to win market share. It's exciting. It's fun. But your costs are relatively low. And those costs remain relatively low because you're not in your new smart office. You've not got lots and lots of people to hire. You're actually responsible for yourself. And then what happens is you move into this place of well, we're doing really well now, so let's employ some more people and let's employ some more people. And we need to employ more people now because we've got these all these relationships. And all of a sudden, the costs become like a lot higher and you start thinking to yourself, wow, okay, we now need to do the business. And I think that for me, on the startup culture, I don't know if you've seen that, but certainly I think that the stakes become higher the challenges become higher and certainly personally more than anything else as a business owner and that is that I feel responsible so if the business isn't doing yeah. well then I'm actually it's not just my livelihood I could strip it back down tomorrow for argument's sake and turn around and go oh, okay I'm all right I'm you know I'll just make my money I've been doing it for long enough I've got enough relationships however you're trying to generate and develop other people's careers as well and you're trying to make sure that they've got a career and a stepping stone and a platform so actually in five years time or in three years time or in two years time they're the people that actually step into your shoes yeah or step out of your business and go and do their own business and that's how you successfully succession plan and build entrepreneurs yourself so i don't know if you you've felt that either of you for that matter but certainly i feel that when we started up the culture probably i'm not saying it's not fun because it still is fun but certainly it becomes more serious yeah there's a bit there's more responsibility there isn't there ultimately but yeah i think i think you made a, a couple of good points really that were were kind of figuring out and, and working with at the moment so around recruiting numbers you know suddenly we need a lot more people we need multiple developers um, <laughs> <laughs> but what we don't want to do is just throw money at people and filling yeah. seats you know it's not about that we need to continue to do what we have done in previous years which is to find the right people and if we find someone who can add a bit more value outside of the exact role that we were looking for and they cost a bit more money or you know whatever that's fine and if they're delivering that value to the business then that's that's a great thing you know one of the best decisions we made was our head of finance when we hired him we weren't really big enough to have someone at his level come in right however we made the judgment call that the added value that he'd bring to the team and the business was well worth it and it was one of the best decisions we've made in the three years that I've been with the business. So yeah, it's, it's not just about finding people, it's about finding the right people. And then the other point you said was, I've forgotten how you phrased it really, but the, the bit that it kind of triggered in my head was um, what I was saying before about with the, with the team scaling and restructuring and the business growing, how some people will flourish in that environment and how things change and other people might not. But what you got to remember is that as, as their employer and as their manager, you know, whatever whatever role you're in for them, it's kind of your responsibility to help them along that way and make sure that you're getting the best out of them, but also that they're enjoying it, that they're still heading in the right direction from their career trajectory. You know, if they want to work in a scrappy little startup and get involved in lots of things, is there a role that they can have within the team where they can still do some of that rather than just ending up, you know, laser focused on whatever it might be, PHP development, for example. So I think, yeah, that that's kind of a responsibility of the company as you grow to handle that 
I'm really interested in something that I think maybe you were touching on, Zach, about delegating responsibility and sort of succession. How have you found that? And you don't strike me as someone that would struggle with it, but how have you found delegating those responsibilities to other members in the team when ultimately everything was your responsibility? It's about hiring the right people. If you're a startup of three or four people and you need to hire someone else who's, you know, you're going to get delegate things to, if you hire someone that you can't trust, then what are you playing at? It's just, just a bad move. And I think that comes back to investing the right money and the right time and effort in the right people. So while you might only need a junior developer, actually, if you can't give them the resources that they need to develop and you can't trust them to do their job and actually you're just creating work for yourself, then yeah. you know that that's a bad idea. You may as well spend a bit more money and get someone that you can... And you, you need to hire then. To you need to hire for the, not for the problem you have today, but the problem you're going to have in two years' time exactly as well. That. Like you get, yeah. there's no point getting someone who's great at development, as you say, and can't pick up some of your responsibilities as the team grows. Well, you can't do that with everyone because it just doesn't scale as a yeah. as a team. Yeah. Um, but then also you, you kind of got to balance that. Where in the past we've hired junior developers who've got no commercial experience at all, so they might have come out of a, a coding academy type program. And they've been fantastic. However, right now, we don't really have the capacity to take those people on. We need people with a bit more experience who can hit the ground running because as an employer and as a team, we couldn't support them to the level they need at the moment, at the stage we are. And hopefully in six, 12 months, you know, we'll that have that capacity again. to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think also is interesting about what I was talking about before in the interviewing arena piece where we talked about the attitude of bringing the right people on i think that's always a challenge as well when you're growing in that sphere yes you need to bring on more talent yes you bring need to bring more people into the business however at the same time you need to bring people with the right attitude that are going to fit into your culture because if they don't fit into your culture in six months time you're going to be looking again so um but suppose moving on and um sort of moving towards the end of our session today just out of interest is there any advice that you can give to anybody that's looking to launch a startup or join a startup business i mean launching a startup from day one i'm probably not going to be able to give too much advice as say i kind of came in a couple of years down the line when the proof of concept was there and the seed money was there but certainly from there on really you need to Surround yourself with the right people, hire the right people, hire for the values in the people rather than necessarily their technical skills or what they've done before. So, you know, look for humble people, look for people who are proactive and are going to add value to other areas of the business where the role isn't. And trust, trust your gut, really. That's particularly around people and hiring. You know, if, if you have an interview and you're sort of oh, in an hour and you're not quite sure if they're the right person, they're not. Okay. You know, it's... Yeah, I've heard that before. Joe Spolsky, he started Stack Overflow. And um, he says, if it's a maybe, it's a no. And if usually there's yeah. a team of you involved in hiring sort of two or three people, maybe yourself and the, the CEO. And if one of you is on a maybe, it's a no. And that's hard, like, especially if you've really hit it off with that person, you're like, it's a 100% yes for me. And the, and the other guy's going, I think it's a maybe. Then you've you know got to get, let it go. That's their advice. Yeah, I think, but I think it's sound advice. I think yeah, I think I agree with that. You know, the best people that we've hired, we've come out of interviews, and everyone's been yeah, that's that's the one. That's the one. Brilliant. Yeah, we need them. That's a fantastic note to end on. Thank you very much for coming into studio, uh, Jake Dean of Airtime Rewards. It was a really interesting discussion. Found out loads. As ever, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, it's Northwestify Podcast at gmail.com. And that's it from us. Thank you. Thank you.